Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. All right, let's pray and enter into scripture this morning. Jesus, thank you so much for this community, these women and men right around us that we are invited to be a part of again in this season. Thank you for those that have gone before us, people who prayed and dreamed of a church in Gordon Head back in the 60s who had a deep burden in their heart for there to be a worshiping Jesus seeking and following church right here in this neighborhood, alongside of the university, in and for this community. Thank you for those that have prayed, preached, served, those who've practiced hospitality, who've led Bible studies and sat in living rooms and encouraged others, who've invited people back for soup and a sandwich uh, so many times and have fueled and been the life of this church. And we come to you again and ask that you would continue to write the story in us. And again, as we come to your word in Colossians today, that you would open us up to yourself, that you would speak through your word and you would give us ears to hear your voice today. We pray for churches across our city Number right now that don't have a lead pastor and are feeling some um, struggle in just entering into a new season without clarity of who their next leader will be. Lord, we ask that you would breathe upon your church across our city today. Come and glorify yourself, God. And lead us into you. Amen. All right. I love this picture. Um, I want to start this morning with a few questions to get us thinking together. Which is more important? How we think or how we live? What matters most? Said another way, which is more important? What we know or how we live, which is more important, to know God or to love God? Lastly, which is more important, knowing God or glorifying God, living in a way that represents God's priorities and character? I suspect some of you, as I ask those questions, it's just like a dumb question, Scott. It's so obvious. It's always the last one. How we live is what matters most. Loving God is what matters most. Living in a way that honors God, glorifies God, reveals God is most important. And if that's what your heart, your gut said, I want to cheer. I think Jesus would cheer. All you have to do is read 
Jesus' announcement of the greatest commandment, Matthew 22, verses 37, and we get this answer, love the Lord, Jesus' answer, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. He doesn't say the greatest commandment is to know the Lord your God, it's to love the Lord your God. Or in the case of the last question, the most important thing is to honor God, to live lives worthy of the Lord, not just to know him. This is the goal of Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter one, our text for this morning. And I think this resonates with many of us. I know it does for me, especially as a pastor, as I keep my ears open and I keep hearing the stories of fallen Christian teachers whose daily lives and relationships have not been as beautiful as their books or their teaching. But it's not just a reflection on, on the critique and the discouragement in me about the world. It's also something I think we all feel in ourselves, right? An ache to not just know Jesus and the gospel, but to live our lives today, this month, this year, in our workplaces, in our relationships, in our educational environment, in our university years, to live our lives in Jesus, in his way and in his truth and in his life. We know this. We know this is our calling as Christians, not simply to know God, but to love God. As Rose Madrid Sweatman, a pastoral mentor of mine years ago said, Christianity is not just a belief system or a worldview. It is a way of life. Dallas Willard said, salvation is a life. Gordon Fee, New Testament scholar, said, many times all true theology should lead to doxology, that is worship, praise, love for God and for all that God loves. And I think we know this. It's not enough to just know lots about God and God's will. Salvation is a life to be lived in Christ. And yet, if you've been around Lambrick for a while, you know I'm an and yet sort of preacher, am I not? <laughs> we know this, that it's not enough to just know God. We're called to love God. And yet, in saying this and believing this, I think we often can lose grip on the reality that we can't have the one without the other. Carly's saying, amen. You were holding out. I saw your eyes like, wait a second, Scott. Wait a second. You can't, we can't have one without the other. We can't and won't truly love God unless we know God as he is. We can't and won't truly live in ways that honor and glorify God or even want to unless we know God to be truly glorious and good and honorable. Truth is, it is impossible to love God, to honor God, if we don't know God as he is. I start here this morning because I'm very aware that in the church, we've often regarded the knowledge of God and the pursuit of this knowledge in, I think, some very unhelpful ways. And at times, the consequences of this have been and are disastrous, and not just for our thinking, but for our living. Our love for God has ended up hijacked and derailed, and this is where the rubber hits the road for all of us. This is where many of us wrestle and struggle. It's why many of us are here 
today. Because we, not because primarily we feel that our minds need to be renewed, but because we, we know that our, our lives need to be redeemed. We know that there are parts of our lives, maybe little parts or vast parts, hidden parts or uncomfortably public parts that are not in step with the Spirit. We feel this again and again. We all do, right? We all do. Ways of speaking and thinking and living, being, doing that we know are not done in love for God and God's love for others. And we long to be saved, to be redeemed, renewed, transformed in the core of our being, that we would come to truly live our lives, our Mondays, our Tuesdays, the whole of our lives in Christ, in step with the Spirit, for the glory of God, for the good of the world, for our joy in Him. And with that very aim in mind, the Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to pray and write what we find as Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12, a prayer written and a prayer prayed for the Christians in Colossae and I trust by the Spirit for us. So if you have a Bible with you, open it with me to Colossians chapter 1, 9 to 12. You might notice we're in Colossians right now. Uh, this is not a commitment for the path for the whole year. It's for this moment, two weeks ago, today, next week, feels like scripture that I think God would want for us right now that sets us on a trajectory to where we are going to go this year. But Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. I'll read it for us. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. I love that image of Paul the Apostle praying continually for the church in Colossae. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might that you might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of his people in the kingdom of light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, although verses 9 to 12, actually verses 9 to 14, all flow together, I want this morning to simply focus on two verses at the core of this, verses 9 and 10, because they open up something vital for us to understand as we stand again today, or maybe again, again, and again, at a moment where we long to go deeper in Christ, to live our lives in Christ. We, we maybe feel a sense of, I want to grow. And Paul opens up something here that is so vital for us whenever we find ourselves in these moments. As you might remember from two Sundays ago, in the portion just before this, Paul told the Colossians about how whenever he and Timothy prayed for them, they always gave thanks to God, he said, for the ways that the gospel, that God through the gospel was not only bearing fruit and growing throughout the world, but in and among them. And so in verse 9, in the beginning of our text, we hear Paul say, for this reason, that is because we know that God is already at work here. God is already at work in you. 
Because we know that the gospel has already begun to have its way in you for this reason. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. And here is prayer again. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Notice the so that. Right at the start of verse 10, though I guess I haven't put that. I think it's the next slide there, Ross. Thanks. So that. It's easy to hear this prayer prayed to read it and assume that Paul's main concern is about the Colossians thinking and our thinking, that they would know God and God's will, that we would know God and God's will. That's what he prays for, right? Yes and no. Because here, here, here the so that. He says, God, we pray that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. This is the heart. This is the aim of Paul's prayer, and for that matter, the whole of Paul's letter to the Colossians. His longing, his aim, his prayer, and I trust God's longing, God's aim, God's prayer, is for them and for us with them to come to live our lives in a manner worthy of Christ, to live our lives in Christ, to truly experience the fullness of Christ, which is what I think many of us long for. But along the way, in this prayer and throughout the letter, Paul seeks to make something clear to us that I think we often miss. That essential to this, necessary to this, is that they and we would come to be filled with the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. For without this, we will not and cannot love God and honor God. It is simply impossible. If we are, if if you are, if I am, to love God authentically with my life, to live my life, our lives, for his glory, we need to know God as he is, to be filled with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We need the lies, the half-truths that crush our faith and our love for God, the lies and the half-truths that we have believed about God and his will to be deconstructed and replaced with what is true about God and his will. With the glorious, liberating, soul-enlivening truth of God. And I just want to stop here and say to you as your pastor and your brother in this journey, if you find yourself today September 4th, on the cusp of a new season. If you find yourself today in these days, looking into this year with this ache for change, you've been stuck in some way for however long, maybe seemingly forever. If you find yourself in these days aware that you are not living your life or some piece of your life in a manner worthy of Christ, in step with the Spirit, or even simply deeper than that, aware that you do not truly love God or want to love God. You need to know that the way forward is not just a matter of trying harder. Many of us have tried and know by experience that it does not work that way. We can't just will ourselves out 
of sinful ways and into holiness. We cannot simply will ourselves into love for God. It is not simply or primarily a matter of the will, though we must harness our will to that end. But as Paul makes clear in this passage and in so much else in scripture, as Jesus affirms to us in so many ways, essential to any real growth in Christ, in godliness, essential to moving forward with and in Jesus is coming to know God more, coming to know God more fully, to know God as God truly is. Because how we live our daily lives flows out of how we think. We talked about this before. We will again and again because this is what scripture teaches us. How we live flows out of what we perceive to be true. At the heart of this, what we perceive to be the truth of God and God's will, rightly or wrongly. So return to the question I asked at the start, which is more important, how we think or how we live? Both. Because the latter is impossible without the former. Which is more important, knowing God or loving God? The latter, but we can't do it without the former. Because it is impossible to love God with all of our hearts and souls and mind and strength if we don't know God as he is. No matter how hard we might try, we can't force ourselves to trust and worship and even want a God, want God and his will if we are not convinced that God is good and beautiful and loving and all-wise. That's why Jesus says in John 17, verse 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Because knowing God, knowing God as he is, being filled with the knowledge of God's will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives is what leads to loving him, what leads to life, the eternal kind of life now and forever. So let me ask you a question as you think about your faith and your vision of God. What fruit is your faith bearing? What is your knowledge of God and God's will producing in you? Does your heart run naturally to God with faith and hope and love? Are, are you growing, are we growing in compassion and kindness and joy and patience? Do we hunger for more of God and God's will and God's glory in our lives and in the world? I think that's a really core question. Do you hunger for more of God and God's will in your life and in the world? Because if that isn't the case, I think the Apostle Paul would challenge you, would challenge us to reconsider the source of our wisdom and understanding. Because the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives bears this fruit. The wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives causes us to hunger to know God more. It says that explicitly, one of the fruit of this prayer, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. The second fruit of this prayer, the second expression of this life, pleasing to the Lord, lived 
in a way worthy of him is that we would continue to be growing in him. We'd want that. Our heart would want it because we've been won over by the truth of who God is. If that fruit is not somehow an ember, at least, in us, then Paul would challenge us to consider, to reconsider the source of our wisdom and understanding because there is a lot of sources that we turn to in these days that might convince our minds yeah this, yeah, this is the real truth. But does it bear the fruit of causing us to be more hungry for God or just make us feel like we've got the right answer? Finally, maybe. Whereas the fall, a false view of God leads to broken and misshapen lives, true knowledge of God inspires and bears the fruit of love, trust, faith, devotion, faithfulness, obedience, joy, endurance, patience, thankfulness, and worship. So let me come back to what I said at the start. In the church, we often regard the knowledge of God and the pursuit of this knowledge in unhelpful ways because I think this is critical for us. And it boils down to two responses or maybe two extremes that I think are really common in the church, in every church, in every Christian community. And the best way of saying this is that we simply regard the knowledge of God and the pursuit of this knowledge either too seriously or not seriously enough. And let me clarify what I mean by that. Some of us, I think, take it too seriously in the sense that we put the knowledge of God on a pedestal as an end in itself, making an idol of the intellect. As though the most important thing, the only thing that really matters is to have the right answers, the right theology, to know your Bible back to front in Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, because there's whispers of it here and there, right? And although we, though we don't think, we might think we don't do this, I think it shows up in who we elevate to Christian leadership often. How often our Standard in our mind starts with a certain level of education, not a certain level of godliness. We, we say as a marker, I would never want a pastor who doesn't have a master's degree or something. I remember sitting when I was in grad school, working on my master's degree in a bus stop in Vancouver. And I ran to an old friend from my university years, and I remember him, their church was going through a transition, and he said to me, yeah, I don't know, but, but man, we need someone with a master's degree. I thought, what in the world is this nonsense? And that isn't to downplay education. We need to be led by people who are seeking to have their hearts and minds grow in the knowledge of God, but that has nothing to do with a master's degree. This is about being attentive to Jesus. We need people on their knees, leading, calling us, mentoring us, who are known for pursuing Jesus in honesty, seeking Jesus, growing, seeking to be like Jesus, be led by Jesus. Or sometimes we, we apply this subtly in the way that we think, oh, I could never lead a Bible study. I shouldn't be the one to do it because I never went to Bible college. That worked better in Saskatchewan, <laughs> Shayla, because everybody in Saskatchewan does a year or two at Bible college, so that doesn't become this like default. But out west, where we don't do that, we always think, oh, there's those five people that went to Bible college. They should be the small group leaders. No, this is about being a follower of Jesus. And Bible college, yay, go. Friends, if you have an opportunity and God calls you, go. 
But this is about knowing and following Jesus. Sometimes we have made a certain kind of knowledge of God an idol. We put it on a pedestal as though that is what it is all about. Or more basic, at a very basic level, many of us, we can be so prone to content ourselves on a Sunday morning, to content ourselves with simply agreeing with the message, with no regard to what is God actually calling us to. Because we have made an idol of the intellect. The most basic thing, the most important thing, is knowing the truth, agreeing with the truth. This is what I mean when I say we've taken the knowledge of God and the pursuit of the knowledge of God too seriously. We put it on a pedestal. We made an idol of it. We've made it an end in itself. But Paul is adamant, as is Jesus, that the purpose of this knowledge of God and his will is so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, that we might have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father. And maybe because of this, some Christians, maybe some of us, swing to this other extreme and end up not taking the pursuit of the knowledge of God seriously enough. We downplay it because it's not the point, we say. We downplay it because it's not the goal, we say. And it's not. And we just want to live We just want to live in Jesus. We just want to love like Jesus. But how can anyone do that? How could we do that unless we are taught? Which is why Jesus, when he shows up, the primary call of Jesus is not go and live like me, but come and follow me. Come be with me that you might learn from me to live in me. The gospel And life in the gospel is not simply intuitive, something that we just get. It is something we learn by revelation, the revelation of Jesus through his living word, inspired by the spirit in community. The knowledge itself is not the goal, it is essential. It's an essential means to the end that is life with God, life in Jesus. That's why Jesus says to us, come be my disciple. Because there's no growth in godliness, no moral transformation, no becoming like Jesus without our minds being renewed with the knowledge of God. And let's be honest, that doesn't happen in a moment. For anyone, it is a bit by bit, more and more every day, reality. On a side note, this is why we as a church, this is why I right now am teaching from scripture and not just Scott's thoughts of the day. <laughs> because we are convinced, we, we, we have placed as a church the study of God's word as one of the central defining practices of our shared life. Not because we think preaching is the best or Bible study is what we're all about, but because we want to know and love and follow God. And this comes by hearing and responding to God's word day after day. So let me land this by naming the beautiful tension in all this. A tension that I think is an invitation. Notice that Paul does not pray that you would fill yourself with all the wisdom and understanding. 
with, with the knowledge of God's will. Some of us, as you've listened to me, you've increasingly felt heavy with, I don't know if I can do that. I'm not that smart. I don't have a Bible college degree. I'm not wired that way. But Paul doesn't pray that you would fill yourself with the knowledge of God's will. He prays we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And then he clarifies through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So for all of our emphasis this morning on growing in the knowledge of God, the essential need for this, the Apostle Paul makes clear that this isn't something we can just go do and acquire on our own. And we praise for God to fill us with this knowledge. And fill is a passive thing, to be filled. In other words, this isn't something we do, it's something that God does. It's something that comes from the Spirit. It's something that is done to you. But as I said, there's a tension here. And this, I remember this gripping me years ago. Because although his prayer boldly affirms that this fruitful knowledge is from the Spirit alone, it is significant that the Apostle Paul didn't simply pray this prayer on his knees and leave it there. No, he wrote the Colossians a letter. He prayed fervently, constantly for God to fill them. I pray this prayer fervently and constantly for you and for us. And yet with that, Paul wrote them a letter telling them what he was praying for and instructing them, teaching them about God in Christ to challenge and correct their thinking and then calling them to set their minds on Christ. And notice also that it's a letter that he wrote to a community to hear, to be heard and interpreted and responded to together. Do you feel and hear the invitation in this, the tension and the invitation in this? I hope you do. Because it's an, an, a tension intended not to push us away, but to pull us in to Christ together. I'm sure we all have moments where we might wish that this was something we could simply do, that you could come to me today and say, Scott, give me the book, the book. <laughs> They'll answer all my questions and I'll go ahead and read it this week and I'll come back and I'll be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Something, sometimes we all just long, we love something we can just do on our own. Just do it, get it done, knock it off, right? But is it not a gift in truth that this is not just up to you, not just up to us on our own, that the God upon whom we are dependent to fill us with the knowledge of his will is the very God who in love has given himself for us on the cross while we were still sinners, that the very God on whom we are dependent to fill us with the knowledge of his will is the same God who has already poured out his spirit upon us and claimed us as his own. And not only that, but with that, in his grace, he is the God who has breathed the church into life and given us one another. That we would walk together, pray together, confess and repent to one another. Study God's word together. Bring our questions together to God and grow up in Christ together. In the church, in this relational space 
where God intends to fill us with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and power, wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What a beautiful invitation and tension we're invited into again today. So, are you hungry to grow in Christ more in this season, in this year? Or are you feeling stuck, desperate for change, help? Or are you feeling lost in a season of questions and doubts and deconstruction? Whatever you do, don't simply run off and try to do this alone. God wants to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Here. Not just Lambrick, not making a tight circle, but in the body of Christ, in the struggle of this, in the struggle of opening up our questions, our doubts, our brokenness, our habits, our inner dialogue that sends us down, bringing it into the light with another or maybe with a few others and together seeking God, together sharing what God gives us, together being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So what would this look like for you? If in your heart you're saying today, yes, I want that. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. If you look at my hand, I often write a prayer something on my hand that reminds me something I'm praying. And right now it says, yes, please. And I heard a friend uh, in, in a, telling a story in his own life in a moment with God where he said, God said to him, are you ready? And his answer was, yes, please. If your heart today is saying, yes, please, what will it look like for you to walk that yes this season? Some of you are just showing up, stepping into a new school year. If you've got new dorm mates, maybe they are pursuing Jesus, maybe they aren't. But if you're here, there's some companions right here. Honestly, every one of us, we need two, three people. You don't need 15 people, 500 people. You need a little huddle of people that you might lean towards and say, hey, can we, can we pray Paul's prayer every day for the next week and let it sink into our souls? Could we memorize this passage together and come together and pray for one another and open up. I don't know what that looks like for you, but it's got to look like something because Jesus is saying yes. The Spirit is saying yes. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the way that already this morning you are doing the very thing that we're asking for and that we're seeing and feeling our need for through your word here in this space, in this time, through our songs that we have sung and prayers that we have prayed, you are right here in your own ways, in little ways, maybe in big ways, you are answering this prayer already. A prayer that you inspired Paul to pray, which means it's a prayer that comes from your heart. It's a desire. It's your pursuit. It's what you want for us, that we would be filled the knowledge of your will 
through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live a life in you, our lives, as a community, in you. Give us faith. To say yes, God. And uh, give us an imagination, wisdom, maybe, to take a step uh, in the coming days, in the coming month, to, to shape this year in ways that would make room for this kind of holy, hungry companionship, God. And that our coming together here each Sunday would be a piece of this, not extra, but integral to it, God. Lead us as we pray together.